Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We are closing out chapter two of Philippians this morning. And uh, man, I've just been uh, really, really excited and really, really convicted as I prepared this week for this portion. If this were a, a, a track on a set of songs, like a, a, we don't have CDs anymore, but an album like on iTunes, this might be one of those parts that you would just skip. Because it's like a, a, a tiny little piece that feels a little bit insignificant. But I think there's something really, really powerful in what Paul will show us today. Uh, there's a man by the name of David Brooks. He's a New York Times columnist. He's a professor at Yale University. He's featured on television shows and all kinds of things. This guy has a pretty impressive resume. And I heard a podcast about character. He was talking about character. He'd written a book called The Road to Character. And the reason why is that he was driving home one day and he was listening to NPR. And on NPR, they were playing a rebroadcast from VJ Day, Victory Over Japan Day. The, the day, August 15th, 1945, where uh, World War II officially ended. And this was a broadcast that was uh, recorded onto vinyl records and sent wherever troops were stationed. And they would play this broadcast for all the troops. So he's listening back to this broadcast. And the host was Bing Crosby and all the who's who of American celebrities are singing and, and praying and sharing poetry and different things throughout the broadcast. But the broadcast began with a prayer. And it was a prayer of thanking God for what he had done, for, for bringing peace. It was a really humble, grateful prayer. Bing Crosby, the host, uh, says, we just need to thank God that it's over. We, we need to thank God that our troops get to come home. There was no talk of American superiority. It was very humble and grateful. So he was struck by that as he's listening to this broadcast that went out to our troops on VJ Day. And he gets home and he sits down on his couch and he turns on the TV and on the TV there's the news and they're playing all the highlights of the sports and they're showing some, you know, football highlights and there's a, a, a football player stops a two-yard, um, you know, rush and hops up and he does like a little dance, you know, and beats his chest and points to the crowd and everyone's like, yeah. And he was kind of struck by the difference between this broadcast of winning World War II and then stopping a two-yard play. And in his work, he 
basically deals with all of the issues of our day. He meets with the presidents and the cabinet and all the people since the Reagan administration to now. And what he says in his book, and I think he's right, is that we are at a moment of crisis of character. We're at a moment of crisis of character as a nation, but I think as individuals. And for the church, it's easy for us to hear something like that and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, our nation is going down the tubes. Character is, is lost in the public space. We kind of self-righteously point our fingers at those outside when I think really what God wants us to do this morning is really ask the question, do I have a crisis of character in my life? And so I think that's what Paul is pointing us to. He's talking about character. I want to read this passage together this morning. This is Philippians 2. This is the end of the chapter, and it's a little bit of a travel log. He's going to talk about wanting to send some people and when he's going to send them, and it's going to seem mundane, but I don't want you to miss the details of this. Starts in verse 19. He says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Verse 25. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Verse 29, therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul gives two profiles of these guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he begins to point at some things about their character. That's what he's doing. He's pointing to their character. I just want to kind of give you a contextual note here that when he talks about in verse uh, 29, hold people like him in honor, we have to remember that this culture was probably much more of an honor-shame culture than we are as Americans. Meaning, if a church were to send a messenger and that messenger were to get ill on the way and, and become a burden to whoever they're sending him to, that would be kind of shameful for them. And so they would think, gosh, I, I think we picked the wrong guy. We should have sent somebody else. And, you know, they would have all these things because they're honor shame. That's how they think. Versus Paul saying, whoa, 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 don't go there. This guy risked his life. You need to honor people like him. And so this culture was different than our culture. But I think the, the transcendent theme is this word proven 
character. In fact, if you were going to underline a, a, a word in your Bible or highlight it on your app, I would highlight that word proven character. So what is character? Well, character comes from the, the Greek word that, that means to engrave or mark. It's the imprint on the soul. It's the, the instrument for marking. It would be connected to this idea of like a stylus, which is what they would use to engrave on stone or carve in wood or, or to mark on, uh, you know, like a ancient papyrus, right? This would be a stylus, something that you mark with. Your character is what marks you, and it's the mark that you leave on others. Do you catch that? It's what marks you and it's the mark that you leave on others. It's the thing in you, the stuff about you that will actually engrave something on others. Your character is what marks you. And it's the mark that you leave on others. I think when we think of character, we immediately think about morality. Right? People who do the right thing, like being moral. And I think that that's true but it's not the whole truth. Meaning this, character is not less than morality, but it's something more. And here's why I say that. When you think about the earthly ministry of Jesus, he, he had his biggest run-ins, his biggest conflicts, not with the notorious sinners or, or, or prostitutes or tax collectors or any of those people. In fact, all those people were drawn to Jesus. His biggest confrontation were with those who were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the priests, the leaders of religion, the most moral people in the society are the ones that Jesus had his biggest confrontation with. And over and over again, he is, he's trying to get at the motivations, Right? That they were doing things to be seen by others. They were, they were still being fueled by pride, by self-centeredness, by greed. He was getting at the interior motivations of their life. And so character is not less than morality, but it's, it's getting at the deeper dynamics of our interior life. Why do we do the things that we do? It's not less, but it surely is more than morality. So it's this thing that marks us, and it's, it's the mark that we leave on others. It's, it's more than morality, definitely not less. And if you're taking notes, my first point is this. Character counts in the kingdom of God. Character counts in the kingdom of God. I, I look at this list, and I think about these two young men, and we see Paul listing off these attributes. Timothy, I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know his proven character. He served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with his father. And then Epaphroditus, he's this brother, co-worker, soldier, messenger, minister. Risked his life for the sake of the gospel. And what I'm grateful for is what's listed and what's not listed. You notice when he's listing off these attributes, it's not like, you know, Timothy is so gifted. 
That guy, have you seen his spiritual gifts? He's so effective. I've had no one else who's done more for the, for the, the, the crowds here or, or this giftedness or this platform. Like he makes no mention of any of the outward stuff that you and I typically look to. And he talks about the interior motivations of these men's lives. I was thinking this week of the people that I looked up to growing up. You probably had some people like that. Maybe it was a, a friend, some kids at school. Uh, maybe you've had an older sibling or a cousin or somebody in your family that you're like, that person is so cool. Like, I want to be like them. And, and probably what you saw was may, maybe they were funny or they were outgoing or uh, they were like really talented. Like they were great athletes or something like that. You saw something kind of on the external part of life and you thought, like, I want to be like that. Right, and so you you like practice like doing things that they would do. You might like make a funny comment like they would have made. Right, you're you're kind of beginning to emulate the people that you look up to, and I love how Paul here he points to two guys that would be living examples for this church, and he's not like look at their gifts, look at this. He's saying no, no look at their character. If, if you're looking for people to emulate, look at their character because character counts in the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't write a book of the Bible? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The Son of God comes to the earth, God incarnate, and and he lives here for 30 years. He's baptized, right? Begins his earthly ministry and begins to pour himself into disciples. Like the first thing he does is choose disciples. And then he teaches and he preaches and he heals and he does all this awesome stuff, crucified, resurrected again. In all that time, never wrote a sentence for the future generations to read. Why? I think there's several reasons why he didn't. In his wisdom, he knew that this would not be actually good for us. But I think one of the reasons why is that he knew it would take more than words on a page for the gospel to spread in the movement to move that he came to begin. What was needed was a a discipler to disciple. He pours himself into disciples and he marks them with his character. And then he sends them out to mark the world with his character. Jesus knew the power of emulation, that we are people that look to others and we begin to try on the stuff that they do. We pick up on the little cues and we, we begin to mimic things about other people that we look to. And so Jesus gave us the most incredible example of character. I've been uh, reading a book. He's a, a man who has planted a church in Canada, which is an incredibly hard place to plant a church. And uh, in the book, he makes this point. He, he, he has an illustration. I shared this with our uh, greenhouse folks that are going through our, our leadership equipping. 
And it's a picture of a, uh, a wooden bucket with the staves. Like if you've seen old westerns and they like lower the bucket down into the, the well, right? It's, it's a, like the wooden staves and there's like a metal band that ties all that together. Have y'all seen that before, right? And so he has a picture of that and he says this, your lowest point of character is your highest point of capacity. Your lowest point of character is your highest point of capacity. And he says, picture all those wooden staves as like the pieces of your character. Like humility, purity, teachable. Um, you're, you're generous. You're all the little pieces of your character. And he's, he's, if you were to take one of those and say, ah, I'm not very good at that. And you were to cut that one stave and you begin to fill that bucket up the water would never be able to go past that lowest stave. Meaning, because our character counts in the kingdom, it actually puts a lid on your capacity to be used by Jesus. Character counts in the kingdom of God. I was at a staff meeting once, and um, one of the, the... I mean, pastors, this was a room full of pastors. And um, one of the pastors got really, really upset. He didn't like where the conversation was going. He got kind of angry. He sort of took over the meeting. And it just got really awkward for everybody in the room. And I remember the head pastor pulled me aside and he said, I'm really sorry about so-and-so. He has a real problem with his ego. Which meant this. Let's all just tiptoe around. <laughs> Don't go there because so-and-so has a problem with their egos. So we're just going to all tiptoe around. And have you ever thought about what is it that people tiptoe around you? Or me? Are there things in my character where they're like, oh, so I love him. He's so great. What an what a awesome guy. But don't talk about that because... We're going to have to tiptoe around his problems. You see, our, our lowest point of character becomes our highest point of capacity. It really matters. Character counts in the kingdom of God. My second point is this. And I think it's what we see here in the passage. Character is marked by reordered loves. By reordered loves. So Augustine lived in the 3rd and 4th century. Um, we call him St. Augustine. Um, he was an uh, a incredible thinker. He, he lived kind of a, um, a debauched uh, young adulthood and has a sort of a, a coming to Jesus in his life. Part of it was from reading the works of philosophers that were talking about the general uh, unhappiness, the, the discontentedness of mankind. And he said that sin or, or discontentedness inside of man is really about disordered loves. That, that we, we put things in the wrong order in our lives and it begins to take the, the joy, the, the contentment away from our lives. He said this, a just and good person is also a person who has rightly ordered his love so that he does not love what is wrong to love or fail to love what should be loved or love too much what should be loved less 
or love too little, what should be loved more. That our sinfulness was really about disordered loves. I look at this passage here and I see these things in verses 20 and 21. And he says, um, he, he will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says about Epaphroditus in verse 26, he says that he's been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. In verse 30, he says about him, he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry. To me, Paul seems to be pointing to the character of these men, and he says, look at the order of their life, their care for you, their care for the things of God. I came across an acronym this week. When you think about joy, J-O-Y, it's, it's an ordering of our life that we would put Jesus first, then others, then yourself. See, when we have character, we begin to reorder our lives about what's most important. Jesus, others, yourself. Character leads to joy as our Loves are reordered. I was talking with uh, Lauren. She's one of our, our uh, ladies here. I think she's serving in the back today with the kids. God bless her. And um, we were talking um, this week, and I was just asking about her job and her work. And she mentioned this. She said, I love my boss, right? And, and, and I'm sure every boss would love to know that his employees like say that, like, I love my boss. And I was like, like, what, why? Like, why do you love your boss? And she said, when I go into a meeting with him, he says, how are you? How's your plate? Is your plate too full? Is there anything that I can help you with right now? He somehow communicates to her that she is more important than himself. There's an order. He's a believer. I believe that Jesus is probably the reason why he does those things, the servant leadership. And what that's creating is not only joy for him, but it's creating joy for the people around him. It's marking them. Our character leads to joy as our loves are reordered. So you might be thinking, Chris, awesome, love it, character, I get it, we need it, it's important. How do we grow it? How do we grow in character? Well, I think it's a great question because the scriptures paint this picture of character that it, it's not static, that our character is changing. It's growing or it's not. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that it's corruptible, that bad company corrupts good character. You've probably heard that before, right? Your parents told you that in high school. Don't hang out with those people. Bad company corrupts good character. Our character can be diminished. It can be corrupted. 1 Peter 1.7 says that it's refined like gold, that our character can be uh, changed and purified, refined like gold. Romans 5 says that it's produced through affliction and endurance. Our character grows, but it grows in commitment and suffering. Our character grows in commitment and suffering. And that's where we're like, uh, 
I don't know if I want like great character because then I have to go through like more commitment and more suffering. But that's the picture that's painted for us. In fact, um, as I was listening to the podcast by David Brooks, that's one of the things that he points out. He's a secular thinker. He does not um, espouse belief in Jesus Christ, but he says, I found of all these people that I've studied that had great character, they had great commitment. And many of them suffered deeply. Commitment and suffering. You see, character is this secret storehouse where glory and awe are gleaned from commitment and suffering. Character is cumulative. It's not transactional. It's not like, here, I'm going to give you this and God's going to give me that. It's like a thousand little decisions throughout your life that determine character. Is it growing? Is it diminishing? It comes in the midst of all the little thoughts and the little graces throughout our days. I mean, just look at Timothy here in verse 22. But you know his proven character because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. That, that word proven character and that word served, it shows us that this Timothy was a, a servant. He was faithful. Like a son with a father, meaning like from birth to adulthood, he's like constantly there with his father, just in it, showing up, committed, like a son with a father. Then Epaphroditus in verse 25, he goes through this list, and, and this is, I love the heart of Paul, this apostle, the church planter who has a messenger bring a financial gift, and he's not like, you know, the, the underling that brought a gift. He calls him what? He calls him brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. He, he lifts him, and he says, look at this guy. He's faithful. He's committed. So character grows in commitment, but also grows in suffering. That word proven in verse 22, to prove something is, is to, to be tested in testing, to be tried in trial, to be revealed in affliction, that suffering has a way of testing, improving our character. We don't like it. But it's reality. If we're honest, many of our commitments lead us to suffer. Parents, you're committed to raising your children well, to caring for their needs, to, um, to, to try to model something for them. And then time and time again, day after day, you're like, really? Like you need this again? <laughs> I need to change another diaper. I need to make a bottle. I need to fetch the food. You just feel like you're suffering at times because you're committed to your kids, right? Spouses, right? You're committed to one another. And yet in your commitment to one another, it will lead you to suffer. There's times where you just don't want to deal with stuff. But it's like your spouse is right there and you have to deal with it. And there's suffering involved with commitment. It happens. And it's not a bad thing, actually. It's a, 
It's a good thing, like glory and awe are just getting brought into the storehouse of your life through these thousands of tiny little decisions. You know, it's that feeling when you're like, I don't want to do this today. I don't want to do this today. I don't want to serve. I, I, don't, I don't want to love my kids. I don't, like, please just leave me alone, everyone. Like, I don't, you know, you just have that. I, I don't want to do it today feeling. In that moment, there's a thousand little decisions where we say, but I'm committed. Verse 30 Paul points to this suffering of Epaphroditus. He risked his life, came close to death for the work of Christ. He points to his suffering and he says, honor people like that. Honor them. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking again. He says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. That's weird, rejoice in our afflictions. Here's why. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces, here's that word again, proven character. And proven character produces Hope. Verse 5, get this. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We rejoice in affliction because our character is getting made and that's going to produce hope and that's not going to disappoint us because God's poured out his love in us. Then if you want to hear it from someone else, the apostle Peter, friend of Jesus, says it this way, 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? Verse 7 so that the proven character of your faith get this more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Your proven character, which came about through commitment and suffering, which he talks about here, says, he says, it will result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus. Wow. Your character counts in the kingdom of God. It will result in praise honor and glory but it only comes about through commitment and suffering and it's marked by reordered loves um, several months ago I was at a HCPN gathering and that's the Houston Church Planning Network that's, that's something that we're a part of it's the network that trained me as a church planner 
fantastic network. They were having a, a gathering and they had multiple people sharing like something they would want a church planner to know. So room full of church planners and it's like a bunch of seven minute talks about things that they want church planners to know. And there were some young, like really awesome guys that I love and they're sharing, you know, about prayer and humility and, and love for the lost. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. This is great, you know. But then this 60 something guy steps up to the platform. He's not hip looking or cool looking really. He, uh, he uh, steps up, but when he stepped up to that platform, there was like a change in the room. Like the atmosphere shifted when he stepped up there. I don't know if you ever felt that before. Like when somebody steps up to speak and there's like a change in the room. And he begins to share about his failure. He was a church planner. It was a church in Houston that was multi-ethnic. It was kind of like a, 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 an anomaly of churches in Houston. And, and people from all kinds of backgrounds that never darken the door of a church start coming into this church. And God's moving and it's amazing. And in the middle of this, Satan just works his way right into this man's home. He says he came right in the front door. He snuggled up to my wife, and within a year and a half, I was divorced. He said, never underestimate the battle for men's souls. It was like the weight of that word for all of us was just like, oh. I mean, you could feel it in the room. And what I saw was not a, a perfect, shiny example of the church planner that got it right. Look at the success. He says, no, I fell apart. He went on to start a new ministry called Star of Hope. You might have heard of Star Hope. It is an amazing ministry that does work with homeless and those who are mentally ill across our city. Like it's powerful what God is doing through this ministry. And what I saw, what I saw was a man of character. You see, character is not about perfection, right? Character is saying, I'm not perfect. And here's how. And, and here's the part of me that God's still working on. It's, it's that kind of humility. And what I saw was a man where suffering didn't destroy him, it, it deepened him. You see, God wants to mark you. He wants to engrave something on you that when you step up to share about what God's done in your life, everyone's going to say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. It's not perfect, but it's the deepening of your soul. So as we close this morning, what is the mark that God's putting on you? What's your story been marked by? Is it a story marked by abuse? Is it a story marked by neglect? A story marked by anger? fear, just falling apart, 
And then what's the, what's the mark that Jesus is working in the midst of all of that? How is he deeply marking you? How is that gospel getting down into all of your life? Maybe this morning the Spirit of God is pointing to a low stave in you. Maybe there's just something that as I'm talking about this, this um, low point of character and the highest point of capacity, like the Spirit of God is saying that, that thing, the people are tiptoeing around you in this area of your life. And maybe today is the day where you say, Jesus, I repent I see that that is wrong. Right? This part of my heart, this anger, this lust, this fear, this whatever that thing is, right? Jesus, I just repent. Forgive me. Fill me. Mark me with your character. Or maybe someone's here this morning that you need to begin by simply surrendering your heart to Jesus. Like maybe you've never given yourself over to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and what that means is that we literally like, we humble ourselves before the one who made everything and say, you are Lord Jesus. I give myself to you. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. Spirit of God, fill me. And in that you are born again. And God begins to mark you with his character. So, I don't know how you need to respond, but perhaps you do. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Why don't you join me? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.